Well, good morning, church. Welcome to church. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. It is so good to have you online with us and those that are in the room with us for today's service. Welcome. Uh, worship was incredible. I felt the presence of the Lord move. Um, Chad Enneagram 2 did awesome on our offering today. So proud of him. He's a son of this house and we love him deeply. And I also want to say congratulations to all of the seniors in high school that graduated. You guys are phenomenal. We're so excited for you. I know I heard I didn't get to join the parade. I wish I could have been there, but I was able to hear the horns and the screams and the hollers. And man, our, our heart is just so proud of you. And so we love you guys so much and can't wait to give you an in-person Hug. We're so proud of you. You're going to do huge things. We love you. You know, this week, this weekend, actually, I was looking at two screens at the same time. And one of the screens was the protest. And one of the screens was the liftoff. And it was... Um, it was an emotional moment for me to watch two very passionate events unfold simultaneously. And the Lord brought to my remembrance, or I guess I should say it wasn't lost on me, that this weekend is a huge spiritual event on the timeline of humanity. So I want to talk about that. I'll get to that later, I believe. Today is going to be filled with hope. It's going to be filled with peace. It's going to be filled with power in Jesus' name. I want to pray over you today as we begin. Father, I thank you so much for just your presence. God, I thank you for your mercy and your grace and your love and all of the attributes that you so generously pour out upon your people. Father, I ask that as we discuss Enneagram 2, today. God, these people that you love and that you champion, God, that you would just speak to us, not speak to us about someone else. Speak to us about us. Because no matter what our number is, God, we believe that you're bigger than a number. We believe that you have something for every number today. God, I just thank you that you're in this place. And prophetically, I just release right now into every home that is watching the power to save, the power to heal, the, the power to come alongside those who are hurting, who are wounded, who feel misheard or not heard or not valued, those who feel misunderstood. God, those who feel lost in this moment, I thank you that you are mighty to save. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. I want to get right to my sermon today, because I don't have a whole lot of time, I'm going to have a seat, and uh, welcome to my table. Uh, last week, we talked about Enneagram 1. Now, the Enneagram, for those who are just joining us this week, and you weren't here last week, and I've you've not heard my description, go back and watch last week. It was brilliant, the description of Enneagram. I just want to gloss over it today to say that the Enneagram is an ancient personality typing system um, that the church has used, many people have used, even other religions have used because they understand 
the validity of it. And I believe that part of knowing God and coming into the fullness of who God is, is to understand who he made us to be. Understanding ourself. You see, when you said yes to Jesus and you deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow him, it wasn't saying that you never look inward to know who you truly are. Part of knowing God is knowing self because he placed a portion of his nature inside of every one of us. So it's critical for you and I to understand who we are if we want to flourish in the kingdom. Now, the Enneagram is more than a personality test. And if you've not taken the Enneagram, I encourage you to do so. You can find one that we've provided to you. We've provided a link. You can text the word self, S-E-L-F, to the number 512-980-1220. Now, don't do it right now because I have a sermon to preach. You have a sermon to hear. But go ahead. Do we have that on the screen? Yes, go ahead and take a screenshot of this, or if you're watching on your TV, take a picture of this. Do this after, after the service today, after our experience. But I want you to find out what you are. Are you a one, a two, a three, a four, all the way up till nine? We want to go on a spirit-led discovery of self today. If you can't love yourself, by the way, the Bible tells us you can't love your neighbor one of the greatest commandments in Scripture is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, your soul, your being, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So this is not a looking at our navel, inward folk, introspective, getting lost in who we are. We don't get lost in who we are. We examine the beauty that God has placed in us, and we learn to love who God has made us to be. You see, I believe that we most represent and reflect Christ when we step into our true self. God created you to be brilliant and beautiful and lovely and wonderful and all of the great attributes about you. That's exactly how God created you to be. But somehow along the way of life, we pick up baggage and lies and frameworks and belief systems that kind of muddy the water of who God created us to be. This sermon and this series is not about self-help. It's not about using the world's tools to make us better. It's about going back to the beginning. Who did God call you to be? Who does God say that you are? So today, we want to talk about Enneagram 2, the helper. You've heard people mention it as the giver. It can be the giver, the helper. There are many names for a two. Last week, we talked about the reformer. The reformer is constantly improving, making the world a better place to live. Some of, some of you get the uh, reputation, if you're a one, as a perfectionist. The bad side of a one is sometimes you can be critical. That was last week. So what is this week? The Enneagram to the helper. The helper. Let me just say this morning that there would be no exchange church without Enneagram 2s. We need helpers. We need people who are willing to roll up their sleeves and come alongside what the Lord is doing. We need, we need people helping to cook in the kitchen, so to speak. We need people that are willing to get dirty for the ministry, for, for the cause, for the kingdom. There would be no church without two. I, I have a story in scripture of a two that I want us to look at and see if 
you can't identify with some of this. I want to take you to Luke chapter 10. We'll start with verse 38. Now, last week I picked on the guys. I talked about two guys when I was talking about a perfectionist. I talked about the older brother, prodigal son. This week, I'm going to pick on the girls. Now, it's not always going to be a, a pick on the girls, but this week it is. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. Verse 38, as Jesus and his disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed them into her home. Martha. I believe Martha was an Enneagram 2, and we're going to look at that. It says she welcomed them into her home. Thank God that she had room for Jesus in her home. Some of us don't have room for Jesus in our home or our schedules or our thoughts or our speech. Thank God for an Enneagram 2 woman who had room for Jesus in her home. Can I get an amen right where you are today? <clears throat> you know, um, it, it says that she's going back. She they came to a certain village where Martha welcomed them into her home and they go back and, and her sister is there. Apparently, uh, these two sisters live together. Now, if you raise, have raised kids, been around kids, any of that, you know that when boys don't like each other, when brothers don't like each other, you know it. There are broken bones. There are busted lips. There are holes in the wall because they're roughhousing too much. There are fights. There, you, do you know what I'm saying? When you have boys, you know when they're not getting along. When, when you're raising girls, it's not as clear. It's, it's like North Korea. You never know when the nuke is going to go off. I, it, you just don't know what's, uh, what's the quietness for. Is that a good quiet? Is that a, a bad quiet? And, and then you realize they're going to kill us all, right? That, that's what she's stepping into and Jesus is walking into. There's, it's already this tension brewing between sisters. Verse 39. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. Now, please understand that in this time, women were not allowed to learn. They couldn't go to university. They couldn't go to school. They couldn't do anything. So the very fact that Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to what's being taught is pretty profound and says a lot about what Jesus thinks about equality. I'll just throw that in there for free. Verse 40. But Martha, the two, was distracted. Twos, listen to me. You're distracted. By what, Pastor? A whole lot of things. Twos, you have a tendency to get distracted. Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. Now, let's, let's give Martha some grace today, okay? How many of you watching today, if you knew that Jesus were coming to your house today, you would flip out. If, if that's you, you're watching, you would flip out because Jesus is, is literally coming to your house, not, not in the spiritual sense of, oh, he's always there. No, like Jesus in the flesh is showing up and you're going to make him dinner tonight. How many of you watching would flip out? Raise your hand. Yeah, everyone who is not raising your hand, you're a liar. And we'll talk about you next week in Enneagram 3. Okay. All right. So I, I, I would be super scared. I mean, I've, I've got you know, 
kids that can help me clean and and my house I think is typically taken care of but if Jesus were coming over I would buy a new crock pot I would buy a new vegetable steamer I would buy new dishes I would get new silverware because we're talking about Jesus so let's let's just let's just cut Martha some slack she made room for Jesus in the home now she's freaking out a little bit and I think no matter what your number you may do the same she came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. Doesn't it seem unfair? That, that sounds an awful lot like a one, a one's thinking in fairness, right? She says, doesn't it seem unfair that she's just sitting here? Shouldn't we all be working? And for the twos at the Exchange Church, I, I know exactly how you feel. You look around and you see all the things that have to be done and you're maybe serving in the parking lot or you're on the greeter team or you're in children's ministry or you're on platform and you see all the empty holes where we need volunteers and something inside the twos, they just don't get it. They just don't understand why people don't serve. Like it just comes so natural to the two. They get sometimes frustrated and they're like, come on, if everyone just did their part, I wouldn't be up here seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Can I get an amen from a two that I know has been up here hours and hours and hours? That's what twos do. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset all over these details. So he's saying, everything you're getting upset about, this is really not that big of a deal. You're getting distracted. For twos, if you're a two watching or in the room, I know that it's easy to do things. But what God is calling you to do is to be. To be a son and a daughter without proving your worth. To be loved and wanted without feeling the need to rush in and do everything for everyone. Verse 42 says there is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, twos, you bring something to the table that is, is wonderful. You reflect God's heart for service. And that's, that's beautiful. And we need that. I, I think I started out this by saying we can't do church without twos. We can't bring the mission that God has called us to do to the city without twos. We can't change the world and bring heaven to earth without twos. We need your heart for service. We need volunteers at the church. We need um, people to do their part, not just twos. Let me just tell you how important volunteers are. If we had no volunteers, this church would shut down in one weekend. In one weekend, that's all it would take for this church to shut down. Thank God that he sent an enormous amount. We have an enormous amount of twos at the Exchange Church, and we're grateful for that. Matthew 20, 28 says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. What is the motivation of a two? I'll tell you. The motivation of a two is to feel loved. They feel loved when they're useful. Martha 
was trying to make dinner and do dishes and vacuum and get everything set right. You know, all, she had no one in the kitchen except Alexa. She, she was upset. It was just her and Alexa carrying on a conversation, and she wanted, she wanted Mary to help. But it was really her looking for love. She, she wanted to be useful because she ties love to being useful. What is their big need? To be needed. That's what drives them. That's their core motivation, to be needed. I just want people to need me. If they're not careful, though, they can become codependent because their identity is wrapped up in what they can do for other people rather than who they are. Twos, hear me. Hear your pastor today. You're not just needed. You're wanted. And there's a difference. The reality is God doesn't need any one of us to accomplish his will on earth. But he wants us. He's chosen us to participate. What's the focus of a two? The focus of a two is needs of others. Needs of others. The great paradox of the Enneagram, by the way, is that when we become unhealthy in anything, so if a two becomes unhealthy, and some of us may be saying right now, well, I know a two, and they're not really that concerned with the needs of others. They're mostly concerned with their own needs and what they need from people. Well, the paradox of this is that though that is their biggest focus, when you're unhealthy, you invert it and make it all about yourself. In other words, we sabotage what God put us on this earth to do by inserting ourselves into the equation. Ones need to... For example, ones feel like they need to make things better, but if they're unhealthy, they think they need to make themselves better, and it turns into perfectionism. Twos feel like they need to take care of everyone else's needs, but when they're unhealthy, they feel like everyone else needs to take care of their needs. What is the core sin of twos? The core sin of twos is pride. Pride. This is actually the hardest to identify, I think, of all the Enneagram numbers of the, the core propensity towards sin, pride. Because twos seem so generous, so kind, so giving. Like ones, their core sin is anger. You know when they're angry. but <laughs> You just don't get that. It's not like, um, you know, hey, one, how are you doing? I'm doing awful. What is that? Is that? Is that anger? Are you tired? What is, you know when a one is angry, but you don't really see when a two is walking in pride. It's the hardest to identify. And we see it in Martha. You, you know, Martha, when she went up to Jesus and she tell, tried to tell Jesus what he should be doing about Mary. What verse was that? Um, but Lord, but the Lord said to her, no, 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 no. Verse 40, she came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? And then here's Martha telling Jesus what to do. Tell her to come and help me. I wonder how many twos here have tried to tell Jesus what to do because you thought you knew what was 
best. What, what do twos avoid? They avoid their own needs. What did Martha need? She needed the Lord. What do twos needs? They need to spend time with Jesus to understand what the depths of their needs are and also to make sure that those needs are not distorted and the result of pride in their life. The underlying emotion of two is shame. Their biggest fear is being unworthy, unloved. I think it's great today to to talk about Enneagram 2 and this driving force and desire for love, considering what we are currently encountering as a nation. I told you at the beginning that I saw two screens. One of the protest, one of SpaceX. And I realized in that moment that this is Pentecost weekend. Pentecost is the, the seventh Sunday after Easter. Pentecost is when the followers of Jesus in the upper room received the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The power they were looking for. And I feel as, as your pastor that I, I need to help I need to help us get to a place and seeing the reality, not of what's on the news. We're all seeing that. We're all tweeting that. We're all sharing live feeds. We can see what's in front of us. What God is calling me to do is to lead you to a place to see the unseen. Because there's something big happening right now in the spirit world. And if you look at the news, you're going to miss it. If you look at social media, you're going to miss it. If you read the greatest authors and poets of all time, regardless of skin color, nationality, education level, you're going to miss it. There are some things that I think about everything that's going on, but my opinion, if it doesn't align with the word of God, it's not a worthy and valid opinion. So my goal today is to try to communicate to you what I think God is saying about the situation. First of all, can I just get something on the table out in the open that I think we will all agree on, and that is that God hates racism. I don't think that's up for debate. I don't know a single person that has said God loves racism or God is for it. Let me correct myself. I don't know a follower of Jesus that thinks God is for racism and that Christians or Christianity is for racism. God hates racism. How do I know that? Because Romans 10, 12 through 13 says there, for there is no, I'm going to try to get through this. And I'm not going to display these verses because it's all stuff that I've thrown together last minute to communicate 
So write these down or open your Bibles right now. Follow along so I'm not lying because you don't know. I could be lying to you. A lot of people are lying to you these days. I could be one of them. So get your Bible. The only way that you know truth is if you open this thing. So I want to read to you Romans 10 verse 12 through 13. It says, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's good news today. James 2, 8 through 9. James 2, 8 through 9. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. And I'm sorry, you have an Enneagram 4 preaching a sermon right now. You're getting the four side of me. James chapter 2, verse 13. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Aren't you grateful for God who allows his mercy to triumph? over judgment in my life, in your life, in our life. Let's not forget, though, that his mercy can't triumph over judgment in our life if our mercy doesn't triumph over judgment in the lives of others. What is heaven going to look like? I'm glad you asked. Revelation 7, 9 tells us that John saw a great multitude of which no one can number of all the nations, of all the tribes, of all the peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands. I don't think anyone watching this right now is racist. If you, if you are, I've not met you. But I will tell you this, if you're watching and you're racist and you think you love Jesus, you better get used to differences because heaven is going to have a whole lot of them. So what's all, what are we fighting for? And when I say fighting, I don't mean fighting. I mean, what are we running towards? What are we racing for? I, I think you could use a lot of words. Some of you would answer it, we're fighting for equality. Some of you would say we're fighting for human rights. Some of you would say we're fighting for civil rights. Some of you would say we're fighting for power. But for me, in light of God's word, we can narrow all of that down to one word. And this is why it's so important that I get our church on board and headed in the right direction, fighting the right battle with the right weapons at the right time, with the right voice. Because this really isn't a fight about equality, human rights, civil rights, power. This church is a fight for love. Love your neighbor as yourself looks an awful lot like equality, doesn't it? 
The problem is we have to remember in times of tension, in times of concern, we're not fighting for anything. We're fighting from it. You've heard me say before, we don't fight for victory, we fight from victory. We don't fight for something that the Lord has already won. We, we fight from it. We don't fight for love, which has already been established. The Lord knows the end from the beginning. We fight from love, not for it. Matthew 24. And because the word of God is powerful, I'm going to read scripture to you. It's a lot of scripture. And if you want to sit there and close your eyes and absorb it, you can. Or you can thumb through your Bible Matthew 22, 24, 12 through 14. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. What is lawlessness? It's sin. It's iniquity. As lawlessness increases... Love grows cold. No matter what we think we're fighting for, church, no matter how we feel we've been treated or are being treated, don't let your love grow cold. Do whatever you need to do to fan the flame of love that God has placed inside of you. Because if your light goes out, we're losing the battle. If your love is lost, we are weaker. Romans 12, 9 through 21. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with a genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. The twos love that verse. Work hard, work hard. Verse 12, rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say... I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. There's so much brokenness in our world. And so many times that I want to lash out at the system or the person or the event. But if there's anything I know about God's word, it is this. When I rob God of his vengeance, I forfeit his justice. 
1 John 4, 7 through 21. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. If you somehow think that because someone is different than you and unworthy of the love that even you yourself desire and crave, I want to make sure that we're both on the same page and that you understand what Scripture does. And that's you don't know God. You have professed something with your mouth that your heart has not been transformed by. God hates racism. This is how God shows his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he is in us. He has given us his spirit on Pentecost to bring power, not to an individual's voice, but to bring power to love. The voice of love that embraces Every person, every person that was ever created is a person that God breathed his breath into. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. Verse 18, there is no fear in love. I know there's a lot of a lot of vernacular saying hate, we need to not hate, don't hate, stop the hate. I hate the word hate actually because it's not the opposite of love and I think it confuses people. It confuses what the battle is. The opposite of love is not hate, it's fear. Love casts out all fear. And when we don't see love, that's because fear is present. The remedy for our culture, for our nation, is not to stop hating, it's stop being afraid. Stop being afraid of loving someone that's different than you. Stop being afraid that somebody's going to get something you didn't get. Stop being afraid that you're somewhere else that you think you should be, than you think you should be. And just surrender and allow the Lord to fight your battles. You see, we keep focusing on don't hate, don't hate, and we run towards what we focus on. I'm, as, I'm not asking you to be against anything in this sermon. I'm asking you to be for something, for love. Because if you and I can be for love, then fear has to go. If you and I can be for love, racism has to go. I'm done. I've been over my time, but I want to pray a prayer, not of my own, but of Jesus. I figured I couldn't go wrong if I used the words of Scripture more than my own. 
This is a prayer that Jesus prayed for all believers. You can find it in John 17, verses 20 through 26. This is his prayer. It's in the red, meaning Jesus literally said this. He prayed this over you and over me. I'm going to pray it over us again one more time. And let's just receive the words of Jesus over our life, over our community, our state, and our nation today. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me and they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you've sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. In Jesus' name, amen.